Hey there, voice teacher. It is Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 39. We are going beyond technical exercises and repertoire development, and we're discussing many of the other skills, basic, intermediate, and advanced, that we can help our singers with. And this isn't just for beginner singers, but really singers of any age. Now, if you are passionate about teaching fun, inspired, and comprehensive vocal music lessons, I'm pretty sure you're probably addressing many of these in your teaching studios already. However, I may have just a few ideas that you may not have thought about that may give you some teaching inspiration. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. Welcome, welcome, voice teachers, to the Full Voice Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Nikki Loney. And if you are new to the Full Voice Podcast, um, well, we like to uh, put out information for those of you working in the trenches with young singing students. And I am super grateful. Uh, We have a global audience. There are people, voice teachers from around the world, listening to our podcast. And our resources, our student workbooks, the full voice workbooks, and our uh, teaching resources are now being used worldwide. So I am thrilled that you have found time in your busy schedule to listen to our podcast. Uh, Today, I want to dive into an important subject. So we are going beyond repertoire and vocal warm-ups. I sound like a Star Trek episode. Uh, I looked back at um, the stats of our podcast and uh, stats of our blog articles, and everyone gets pretty excited about information about vocal warm-ups. In fact, the most listened to podcast on the Full Voice uh, website is our favorite vocal warm-ups. And we talk to a whole bunch of teachers and ask them what their favorite vocal warm-ups, and that has like more than double of any other podcast. People get pretty excited to learn about vocal warm-ups. Now, uh, no doubt that in your teaching studio, uh, learning about the voice, singing vocal exercises, and learning great songs is the cornerstone, really. It's the core, it's the meat and potatoes of what we do in the teaching studio. But if you are working with kiddos, uh, if you were working really with beginners of any age, well, you realize, and you, I'm sure you've noticed, that they have sometimes what I call holes. They're missing pieces, missing puzzle pieces. Um, there are certain skills that they, they just haven't developed yet. And so I guess in, in a way, we're thinking and we're looking at the big picture, preparing our students for all the different opportunities that may be available to them. Now, before I get into my list, and I have 10, uh, 10 things, 10 things that we sometimes have to get into our teaching studios, into our lesson. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that um, there are a lot of us out there who are feeling a little overwhelmed or maybe more than a little overwhelmed about lesson pacing, about trying to fit everything in. 
And I am certainly not trying to make your life more complicated or add to your stress level. Um, Let's just start by saying lesson pacing is not a science. There's no mathematical formula. You know, people email me uh, a lot about uh, lesson pacing, how to work the full voice workbooks in, how do they use the resources. And I I refrain from giving you a step-by-step because I think it's such a personal thing. And I also think we have to be mindful and really be watching our students. Um, really successful lesson planning comes from experience, I think it comes from planning ahead and sometimes like a good old fashioned luck. <laughs> Some days I feel that I've done a really good job with my students. The lessons just flow. We get great information in there. The students are having a good time. Um, And there are days where that doesn't happen. You know, maybe my student changes plans on me by asking a question and I kind of have to roll with it. Um, Now, those of you who are out there still teaching the 30-minute lesson. I wrote a blog post uh, a little while ago, and I called it Death to the 30-Minute Lesson. Now, the reason that I put this out there is because I was looking back and I was talking to my colleagues about, you know, what were some of the difficult changes but best changes that I ever made for my teaching studio. And for me in my teaching studio, moving to a 45-minute lesson was a game changer. And I talk about that in the blog post. So on the podcast page, uh, I'm going to put a link to the death to the 30-minute lesson. Now, just as a quick overview, there's so many reasons why teachers and students can benefit from a longer lesson. So the biggest one is quality and not quantity. Um, If you are teaching longer lessons, then you are working with less students and you get more time with each one of them. And I do believe that this helps us with teacher burnout. Teacher burnout is a real real thing. There are so many people out there teaching an enormous amount of students working very long days and burning the candle at both ends. So when you increase the amount of time that you have with each student, you are eliminating all a lot of your administrative time. So less emails, less follow-up, less repertoire um, challenges, less repertoire emergencies. Why? I don't know why, but repertoire it seems to be such an emergency sometimes. And you get shorter, more enjoyable, and more manageable recitals. So if you have, uh, if you're still in the trenches teaching 30-minute lessons. Um, I taught many years knowing that 30 minutes wasn't enough. And I was too afraid to make the change. I thought my parents won't go for it. They won't pay more money. Um, I'll lose all my students. You know all the fears that we go through. Um, But the change actually went really smoothly. I talked to all my families. I said, look, I'm not getting what I want done. And these are all the things I want to do. Back when I was teaching 30-minute lessons, I was also donating a lot of my time. I didn't have a family back then. And uh, I would do group rehearsals, and I would do them for free. And I would like, you know, offer makeup lessons, I gave away a lot of my time to make sure that my students were prepared. I didn't really have my business 
self going on back then either. So let's just say if you're still in the trenches teaching 30 minutes, I want you to check out the blog post. If you've already made the switch to 45 or an hour, even for your young students, I know that a lot of these, um, a lot of these ideas will probably fit into your lesson pacing just fine. So if you're not completely overwhelmed, I'm going to get started with my list. Now, some of these are common sense. Some of these are business things. Some of these things have to do with new technology and how we do or do not use it properly. Um, But I'm going to get started. So the number one, one of the things that we really have to dive into, we have to remind our students and we have to help and support families is how to practice. Now, this isn't just for our young students. Um, I have students of all ages who struggle to practice productively. And sometimes it's as simple as just setting them up in your teaching studio and looking them in the face and saying, see what you did just there? That is how you're going to practice this at home. This is how you're going to set things up. We make assumptions that they're going to do it like that at home, but they don't. Um, A lot of them have the earbuds, right? So they're listening to their music or they're listening to a song on a device, a phone, a tablet, and they have their earbuds in. My students know and I remind them and I remind moms and dads that that A is not healthy for their hearing and it is not conducive to proper practicing. Again, you would think it's common sense. It's not. A lot of my students don't think about that and they love to just kind of plug their earbuds in and kind of block out the world. The other challenge with practicing with their devices is that they are not playing the accompaniment loud enough to sing confidently over top of it. So again, they're singing really quietly. So they're not going to be training the breath. They're not working on dynamics. They're just kind of singing quietly. So again, listening to the recording, if they're playing with an accompaniment track, accompaniment track, make sure that they know to play it loud enough that they can sing at a confident, uh, confident volume. Now, the other thing that I like to remind my students of all ages, because again, this seems to be what I think is simple, but they're not using their tools. Uh, they're, they're not using their phones as tools. They're, I always say, please use your, your devices for good instead of evil. So one of the things I get my students into the habit of in their, t- in their lessons is to use their phone to record their lessons, to videotape themselves, and get them into the habit of using their devices as a practicing tool. Again, sometimes they're reluctant to do it. So with a little bit of encouragement, we get into the habit of doing that. And then my hope is that they take that habit home. So that's number one, how to practice and how to practice properly with the tools that they have available to them. And again, reminding them that in your lesson, you're setting them up um, to practice like that at home. It seems like common sense, but a lot of of moms and dads will sit in on my lessons because I have an open door policy and they'll watch me set the student up. And then at the end of the lesson, I'll say, so how should she be practicing at home? And again, I'm, I'm, I don't mind those questions. I would rather get those questions in the lesson. And I'll say what we just did here in the lesson, that is how you set them up at home with their, with their, te- with their tools at home 
and singing uh, in, a, in a space that is safe for them. And that's a good conversation to have. So number one, how to practice properly, using tools properly. Now, number two on my list, again, I know a lot of you have got this going on, but music theory, music writing activities, music literacy is so very important. And the language of music, like like all languages, is rather complex. But I, I really want to stress, and, and I know many of you know this already, music is a collaborative art form. We are always going to be working with another singer, a, a piano player, a band, uh, a choir, a choir conductor. And our kiddos, and well, our students of any ages, they need to be comfortable when you put a piece of music in front of them. Now, I know that it is, uh, it is easy uh, and wishful thinking to to think that somebody else is going to take that charge. Maybe it's their piano teacher, or maybe it's going to be the classroom teacher. The classroom teacher is going to fill them in and teach them all the music theory. I really wish that that was true, um, but it really depends on the school boards, and uh, it depends on the music teacher that is at the school that the child is at. Unfortunately, sadly, my son's school, well, they're French immersion, but they don't have a, they don't have a music program. Like it's very, it's very sporadic. It depends on the homeroom teacher. Some of them are musical, some of them are not. Um, and, and it's, it is what it is. So in my teaching studio, I take it as a very important responsibility to get my students looking at music, following a score, writing out notes. It's a really important part of any music lesson. So anyhow, going back to music theory, writing activities, I mean, in the full voice workbooks, that was one of our biggest focuses. We wanted a way to incorporate more writing activities for our young singers. It makes them uh, think differently. It makes them ask great questions. It helps to keep focus to the lesson. And it's a really, really fun time in the lesson. So it's also a great skill. It's also a great activity if your students need to rest their voices. So number one was how to practice. Number two, music theory, writing activities, all of those things. Uh, number three, how to follow a score, a musical score. This is something that we often forget um, with students of all ages, including students that have a lot of experience. We take for granted those of us who have been involved in music for a long time. It's it's a it's second nature to us. But those symbols, the way that text is written with the, with the hyphenation is very strange. So taking some time in the lesson before we dive into the repertoire and just asking them some questions about what they see, you'd be very surprised where our students are getting lost and confused. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing to remember that most people don't ask for help. Our kiddos aren't good at asking for help. So asking questions and, and asking if they understand something or asking them, well, what's this symbol? What does this mean? Is a really great place to start. So that's just a little, little um, 
tip on getting some more music literacy into your lesson. And that doesn't have to take up a lot of time. That can happen in the first few minutes before you start singing your repertoire. Now, uh, this is an extension of number three, but this is one that I, I think is so important. So 3A or 3B, I guess this would be 3B. How to purchase music. Oh my goodness. No, here's the here's the challenge. If you're working with kids, the kids aren't purchasing the music purchasing the music moms and dads are. But if moms and dads aren't musical, they may not understand what kind of scoring that I have a lot of professional singers that don't understand scoring. So the difference between a lead sheet, the difference between um a piano vocal guitar and singer pro. Uh, so all of those, all of those little details can make purchasing the right music for their child really challenging. The other thing is transposition. So if you have to change a key, oh, there's so many things that can make this really difficult for a non-musical mom or dad. Now, what I like to do, and again, I personally do not feel that this is a waste of time. Um, and, uh, if you have somebody give you a hard time about it, my recommendation would be, this is something you need to know how to do to be successful in, in your vocal lessons. Um, and I've said that to parents. I've had parents who are like, well, can you just email me the music? And I'm like, no, you need to know how to purchase your own music. This will come in really, really handy. And I'll take five minutes. That's all it takes. I'll, I'll just pull my laptop or over and I'll say, okay, here's musicnotes.com or Sheet Music Direct, whatever whatever online site you and you like to use, and I show them how to search songs, how to choose the right scoring. If there's a transposition needed, I show them how that works. Now I don't expect them to maybe know the key that we, they need to get. That I can help them out with that in the lesson, but then I can uh, I can let them purchase the the music themselves. I think this is really important. I think we need to empower our students and empower our parents uh, to be able to do these things. So, 3A, how to purchase music, taking a few minutes in your lesson. Um, and again, I've, I've helped a lot of um, older students with this as well. A lot of my adult students had no idea that you could go online and get your music and just print it up off of, like, some people just don't know. So, Moving on. Number four, things we need to help our kiddos with. Ooh, sight singing. Now I know a lot of you are already doing sight singing and that falls into the music theory and music reading. Sight singing gets a bad rap. It, it really does. Um, sight singing tends to be time consuming and uh, that is one of the reasons why we created Sight Singing Superhero. We broke down the musical skills, and we do a lot of these musical skills that help our sight singing uh, skills in the warm-up part of the lesson. And if you have not already checked out our free online webinar, so if you go to thefullvoice.com, and under inspiration, you will find webinar sign up. We have a free teacher webinar that talks about helping our young singers learn musical skills that help them with their reading, with their music reading. So if you haven't checked that out, it's free. 
Did I, did I tell you it was free? Yeah, you don't have to pay for that. So uh, webinar sign up on our website. Go check it out. Go, go check out the free videos. Lots of great information there. So sight singing, uh, got to get that in there. It's important. And you know what? You can have some fun with it. Moving on, number five, how to work with an accompanist. Now, I want to bring up something that is, is it happens. Um, and this recently came up on a thread. So for those of you who are experienced pianists and are very comfortable accompanying your students, um, sometimes what happens is that your students will just take that for granted. Uh, make sure that your students and families understand that your services are specialized and you need to be paid for your time. So it's funny because what's happened to some of my colleagues is that they have always played for their students, whether it's at a recital or at a festival. And then all of a sudden they weren't available to play and the families kind of freak out with the, well, what do you mean I have to pay somebody to play for my daughter? So sometimes we forget that by doing things for our students, they, they start to think that they, they take things for granted. Um, but the other things that we have to teach our students is how to organize their music for an accompanist. That drives me nuts, the whole putting their music in a binder. I have a student, I've been telling them since November, it's January, to put their sheet music properly so I don't have to turn 21 pages. They still haven't done it. Um, but also, we need to teach our students how to, um, how to give us a tempo. That's a little scary for singers of all ages being leading an accompanist. So for those of you who are uh, accomplished pianists and for, well, even for those of us who are not, I like to give my students an opportunity. So I'll ask them to start, okay, I want you to give me the tempo of the song. And usually what I do is I ask them to sing the song for me and then I'll start playing the piano part. And that that requires some courage. So again, it's a great little activity in your teaching studio, how to count the, how to lead the accompanist, how to speak to, how to lead to them. Let your students experience that and become comfortable at expressing what they need from the people who are backing them up. So that is number five. Number six, how to use a microphone. Microphone technique is, I believe, an art form. It requires a lot of practice. It is a, it requires a very different approach to listening to your voice. Now, um, my good friend Michelle Marquardt DeVoe wrote the perfect blog about this, of which I will link in the podcast page. But she wrote this blog called, they're called Mics, M-I-C, not Mike's, M-I-K-E. In her blog, she talks about the importance of understanding how important of a tool a microphone is. Even if your students are singing classical music, there will come a time when they will have to use a microphone. And the more comfortable they are, the better they will perform. So if you get a chance, you don't have to have a big sound system. A small microphone setups are not that uh, outrageous. And again, a great opportunity to work on some performance skills. That's number six. 
Now, number seven, this is also a performance skill, something that I've been doing for many years and I highly recommend it. Uh, For recitals, I get my students to introduce themselves. That's right. We do not walk onto stage and burst into song. Uh, Introductions and talking to an audience is, uh, for some singers, even more nerve-wracking than singing the song. So I get my students to practice. And a simple introduction can be as simple as, hello, my name is today uh, I will be singing uh, and then the name of the song. But getting students to practice an introduction and introduce themselves, I think, is one of the most important skills we can help our singers with. For those of you uh, at recital time, having your students get up and introduce themselves keeps the flow of your recital. If you haven't checked out our podcast, How to Host an amazing recital. Check that out. But that's one of the things I talk about, flow, uh, going from one student to another. So that is number seven, how to introduce themselves, a really important performance skill. Now, moving on, number eight, harmony singing. Oh, harmony singing is so much fun. Some of our singers can do it with no effort. Like they just, it's just natural to them. But some of them find it rather challenging. Again, it's a very, it's very much a listening skill, being able to listen to someone else and not be pulled off your part. Um, We can start really simple with our young singers with rounds um, or taking a simple exercise that they're really familiar with and then you the teacher singing in harmony to it and seeing if they can stay on their pitches as opposed to singing your pitches that's a fun exercise um for my teenagers who get into more uh, contemporary music, uh, if there's harmonies in the song that they're singing, I make them identify them and sing them. So sometimes I'll say, okay, you're not the lead singer, you're the background singer, and you've got to sing the harmonies. And again, a lot of my students have never been challenged like that, and they love the challenge. So don't be afraid to just point their attention to the fact that there is another vocal line um, in in that music that they're listening to and and make them sing it out. It can be a lot of fun. Now, I love uh, what I've done with my studio in the past is if I have um, students of like close in age and ability that are lessons are back to back, um, sometimes what I do is an overlap of their lessons and then the kids work on some harmonies together. And I've had a lot of fun with some of my teen singers doing that kind of work. And of course, they love singing um, with other singers and they are very supportive of each other. And it's a great fun way to build some community in your teaching studio. So that is number eight, harmonies. With our young ones, we can start with rounds and simple songs that they're familiar with, and we can try singing a harmony, and then you can switch that up. And with our teens, yeah, let them listen to their pop song, but sing the harmony line. Number nine. Now this is, this is an interesting one. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. So number nine, sometimes what we can help our students with is how to improvise. Yeah. How to, how to switch up the melody a little bit. Um, again, this is a listening skill. 
A little bit of theory mixed in with that because you kind of got to know where you're going to go. But again, I think for a lot of our singers, what they need is just the permission and a little bit of a challenge. So, and there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. You can ask them to come up with their own little vocal exercise. So ask them to come up with a little melody that they would sing for a warm-up. I've done that quite a few times, and you know what? My kiddos come up with really, really neat little ideas. Um, And for my teenagers, um, I love, in my teaching studio, I love to introduce jazz to my teenagers. So what I start with is I teach them a very simple jazz standard, and we start by learning the melody as written. And then as soon as they're confident singing that, we will start to look at just very simple changes to the melody. Maybe it's one note. Maybe it's a very simple rhythm. But I give them permission. I give them permission to sing it differently. And at first, for some of our students, that causes them some anxiety, a little worry. Oh, they don't want to make a mistake. Um, And I think that uh, that's one of the things that we're teaching them, that it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, I call it... I call it singing through the uglies. Sometimes I'll tease my students and I'll say, you know, you got to sing a whole bunch of bad notes before you find the good notes. And of course, that helps, again, gives them permission. Making mistakes is okay. And taking the melody. We also do a lot of ear training with these exercises. So listening to the chords, trying to sing the notes within the chords. That's very helpful. But you would be surprised. Some of your kiddos will surprise you with their ability to hear the chord and, and sing a melody around it. I'm always surprised. I, I think something's going to be really challenging for my singers, and then they come back and, and they meet that challenge. I love it. All right, so that's number nine, a basic improvisation, starting to change the melody up. Give them that permission to play with the melody. Obviously not on a piece that they're working on for a exam. Don't do that. But for other music, you could do that. Now, my last one. And this, there was a wonderful, a wonderful thread that came up about this. Uh, number 10, songwriting. A lot of our singers, a lot of our young singers are very, very interested in writing their own songs. And even if you're not a songwriter, even if you don't feel comfortable instructing them in songwriting, you know, again, sometimes it's just a little bit of support that they're looking for. So maybe if they have a song, just taking a moment in their lesson and listening to it. Some of my students have written some very catchy, really well done songs. Um, now, I'm, I, I like songwriting and I, I find it really challenging. My husband's a, a composer. He loves writing music. Um, this is a great opportunity, even, even if you're just starting with a young one, uh, to open up conversations about form, about verses and choruses. A lot of our young singers don't really don't think about form because again, they're, they're singing songs, but they're not thinking about like ABA or um, uh, if you're, if you're doing uh, contemporary music, what a bridge is. What is a bridge? Well, that's a section. It usually happens once in a song and it 
it's not the verse and it's not the chorus. And uh, it's actually really important. It, you know, it changes the storyline a little bit. So having those conversations about form, about um, putting their ideas and, and singing some melodies, so important. I have a new student right now and she she has this idea. She has this wonderful song and the lyrics are about um, being afraid, but being brave. And there's some really, really special moments in it. Uh, but there's some, there, you know, there, it's, it's, it's awkward right now. There's some strange time signature changes happening. So we're working on that. We're trying to kind of even it all out. It's songwriting is not a, again, it's not a science. It's an art form. People songwrite differently. There's no really rules how you do it. Some people come up with melodies before they come up with words. Some of our students have little notebooks and they're writing poems and they're putting the music to their words. There's no right or wrong. Your kiddos just need some support. So there are my 10 going beyond the technical exercises and repertoire development, some other skills, some other things that we might need to support our singers with. So I'm just going to do a little recap. Number one, how to practice. Check in with your students. Make sure they're using their tools and they're, they're practicing in a productive way. Number two, always important, and I know so many of you are already doing this, but music theory, writing activities, um, really being able to um, understand this language that they are learning all about. Number three, I'm flipping my page over here, uh, how to follow a score. This is something that we make the assumption that our students are really following the score. Even your adults might not really be following that score. It only takes a few minutes in a lesson to kind of go over the symbols and how to read and follow. It's an important skill and it can alleviate a lot of anxiety for your singers of any age. Number three, A or three B, however you want to look at it, how to purchase music. Again, another skill that I have helped several adults with, uh, they, how to get the right scoring, how to, how to get the right key, what's the difference between singer pro and lead sheets, and sometimes just having a little combo about copyright laws and why it's important for them to purchase legal copies of music. That is something that we can help our students with. Number four, sight singing. Oh my goodness. Uh, you can have a lot of fun and um, sight singing is different from sight playing. So the piano teacher is not going to help them with their sight singing. Anyhow, number five, how to work with an accompanist. And that means expecting payment, um, how to organize their music, how to set a tempo for an accompanist, how to work with an accompanist. We need to make sure our students know about that collaborative relationship and what part they play in it. So that's number five. Flipping my page again. Number six, how to use a microphone. Microphones are so important. I'm talking into one right now. Uh, number seven, how to introduce themselves. Even your youngest singer can smile and charm the audience with a simple introduction. And it is such an important skill, talking to an audience before you burst into song. Number eight, harmony, getting them listening to somebody singing a part 
heart other than theirs helps to prepare them for their uh, for choir experience and all of that. Um, teens make them sing the pop harmonies. Lots of fun activities there. Number nine, giving them permission and supporting them with improvisation, changing the melody, changing the rhythm. You would be surprised. A lot of your kiddos are probably already good at that. And number 10, songwriting. So many of our little singers want to express themselves and they just need a thumbs up and permission to make mistakes and try new things and maybe some instruction about form and repetition and themes and motives. We can dig into a lot of great stuff and really build their confidence. So there's my list of things. And I hope that I have inspired you and not overwhelmed you. Again, we don't have to accomplish all of this in one 30 or 45 minute lesson. These are things that we can inject when we feel are important and necessary. Ah, there we are. Okay, so before I say goodbye and sign off, I just want to let everybody know how excited I am for this upcoming year of podcasts. So if you're listening to this podcast at time of uh, um, release, it is mid-January, and I have already mapped out one incredible year with some fantastic guests. Now, my last point on this podcast was about songwriting. I am going to be talking to a wonderful gentleman who does all of this creative fun with really young kids. Uh, his name is uh, Mr. Ben Bowen. He's coming up, really inspiring uh, music educator. Um, I have authors, I have voice teachers, I have healthcare coaches. I have so many great guests coming up. So I hope not only will you come back, but you'll tell your friends about the Full Voice podcast. As always, my friend and colleague, I am wishing you an inspired day of teaching. And as always, happy singing. You have been listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and free teacher resources, please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca